dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez. I'm here with Sauce and we've just gone through week one of AFL finals. It was cracking. We had four uh, great matches, even though there were a couple of 40-plus wins. And uh, Sauce, how did you enjoy the first week? As a football lover, Pez, it was great. We got to see, uh, you know, the the real two teams that uh, stood out. We saw Port Adelaide absolutely dominate and really put themselves into contention for a premiership. And we saw Melbourne flex their muscles as well. As well as that, we saw two fantastic uh, games and, and really, you know, really big comebacks. We saw the Swans throw away a last, what, last quarter attempt to try and win it back and the Giants hold on for a victory. And we saw Essendon. Um, you know, continue that uh, that terrible record that they've got and set a new record with going goalless in the second half of an, an AFL final. Oh, it's, it, it was great. Yeah, you start off Friday night and you, you're thinking, what's going to happen here? Port Adelaide haven't beaten anyone and they just go on a tear. The, the pressure was immense and the turnovers that Port Adelaide were getting, which was creating... Uh, score for them and goals for them. Just had them in complete control uh, of the whole match. And Geelong uh, only had probably, you'd say Jack Henry, probably took a, a few intercept marks. You know, we knew Tom Stewart wasn't going to be there and it would leave a big hole. I didn't think the hole would be that big. And, and Port Adelaide have said, we go. They said it on the commentary a lot, Source, when Ken Hinckley said, don't judge us yet. Judge us when you see what we do in finals. And uh, pretty impressive to have a what we think will be a home final at Adelaide Oval, barring uh, some COVID outbreak, uh, they're in a great position. A great position, uh, 100%, Pez. And we spoke about this last week. You know, they are basically guaranteed last week two home finals. And and as you said, despite, um, you know, maybe only barring a COVID outbreak, they've basically set themselves up for a prime position to make a grand final. And all year we've been talking about the flat track bully that they are. And my God, they literally looked like the schoolyard bully by the way they were pressuring, the way they were forcing Geelong to, to make terrible decisions and go long. Aaliyah Aaliyah definitely proved he's all Australian worth and easily the recruit of the year. He would have to have, if they had Brownlow votes, Pez, he would easily get the three Brownlow votes. And it was a really, really ironic because that is what has, um, you know, underpinned Geelong all year. They have been a team that has allowed their defence to, to get so many wins. And on Friday night, they allowed Aaliyah Aaliyah, very similar player and intercept marker like Tom Stewart to, to pick them apart. Uh, he, he would get the votes if he just played the first quarter the way he was going. He was he was stopping Geelong there. They, they missed a couple of opportunities through uh, Cameron as well early on, which could have put more scoreboard pressure on. But uh, their, their pressure through the ground, just immense. Alira Lear getting in the right spot. And it seemed like Geelong couldn't do anything but kick it in his direction, which... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what kind of uh, structure that is. They just had to boot it long and he's just reading the ball too well and in the right position. But after he does it two, three, four, five times, maybe you've got to uh, rethink how you go forward. 
Yeah, and we saw them, um, you know, it was it's an interesting thing because I guess Geelong had misplanned who they thought Ali Ali was going to play on and they thought he was going to play on maybe Cameron or, 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 or Tomahawk and they sort of just sort of floated around. They tried to sort of tag him a little bit and they used Gary Rowan, who, whose finals woes continues, and they sort of pushed him up forward or actually in back up back, actually. Isn't it funny that we're talking about an impact of game? And normally they say, oh, they pushed him up forward. They actually pushed Ali Ali down, you know, further down into their forward line, um, but it, he still made impact and, and Geelong just seemed to kick it straight to his area and he was able to come across many times from, you know, that 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 right-hand angle, boom, grab a mark, kick, get it off and anchor their offence that was an exciting, fast-paced offence and, yeah, they, they we, we worried about where, you know, where they were going to get their goals from, Pez. We thought that, you know, Geelong's defence was, was going to stand up, but they picked Geelong right apart. Oh, they did and uh, Fantasia gets in the right positions and you got to wonder why players of this calibre just get on the loose at, at stoppages inside 450 or they're just by themselves running in there. You, you don't understand why sometimes. He had four goals, one before getting subbed out uh, uh, there. But the player that I was really um, impressed with watching him, and it's been for a, a, about a month now, he's not a high possession winner. He's not anything like that. But uh, Willem Drew, and you might not notice him, he's got a strange number, 28. You don't know many uh, players that wear the number 28. But the way... He tackles, and he does not let anyone through. You can't break his tackles. Uh, he's just a good find uh, in, in a midfield where if you're going to put pressure on and you need tackles, he's the man to do it. Pez, who you talking to didn't realise him, mate. A fellow ranger, of course I recognise him. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you, Pez. About a month ago, um, he was one of those players that seems to always pop up in the right position, and he's probably you know one or two preseasons away from just getting that that uh, that AFL touch that is. It's a little bit fumbly sometimes around the ball. Sometimes he misreads the footy, but you know the pressure that he's applying and putting himself in great spots. He was really impressive, you know. And we're talking about a twelve uh, a twelve touch player, Pez. But you could have picked anyone from Port Adelaide because Geelong really. Really made them look good. And not only that, their stars really shone. You had Ollie Wines who had 33, Travis Boak had 32, Carl Amon, Dersma, like they all contributed to a really impressive Port Adelaide victory. Yep, and uh, when you get a prelim final berth and you, you know it's most likely going to be at your home ground and if you're a Geelong side who, you know, should have uh, should have got top spot and been playing someone completely different and not away from home, uh, you'd be ruining that game in round 23, but that performance there, all credit goes to Port Adelaide and Geelong need to, you know, do what they usually do. Lose in the first week of the finals, pick up in the next week, get a semi-final win and see if they can get over the line in a prelim. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we have this conversation every year, actually. We've had this conversation, Pez, eight out of nine times over, over Geelong's last, you know, sort of 12, 15 years of them being up the top. Nine times they've made uh, top four and they've had the, the double chance and eight times they've actually walked away as loser. And I think it was the stat of about six times of that going in as the favourite. And, and again, this one, they weren't the favourite, but a lot of people had picked Geelong just because they are a team that just seems to, to get the job done. And, you know, they find themselves in familiar territory, but they're coming up. They're going to come up against the, the Giants team that we're going to speak about that pipped them a couple of weeks ago and, you know, they have basically set up the game plan of how to beat Geelong. Get the ball over the back of those um, those defenders and get goals out the back. And we saw it with GWS. We saw it with your Saints, Pez. And on uh, Friday night, we saw it with uh, Port Adelaide. Goals out the back, make it really easy. Taking that middle of the, the road sort of kick, instead of just dumping it long, then going long from about 50 metres out. Yeah, it's, uh, one thing that does interest me, uh, Source, is... Is the buy going to come into play as well? Because the the teams that win in the first week, we've got Port Adelaide and Melbourne. They're not playing in the semis. Are they going to have a buy before the prelim? 
Are they going to have a buy after the prelim? When are they going to bring it in? Are they going to bring it in at all? Uh, that'll be another thing. You don't want your players having uh, two weeks off uh, from intense, high-intensity AFL footy. Yeah, it's going to be a really difficult one. And the way that players manage it and the way that coaches manage it without knowing the actual, you know, the, the future, which we don't know if this is going to happen. There's rumours that it might be before the grand final. There's rumours that it might be, you know, before the, the actual, the last final. Like, it may not even happen. So I don't know how coaches go and plan it and make sure that they're giving their players the right recovery time as well as enough, you know, match intensity. And it seemed, what we saw Friday night and some of the other games of the weekend it's going to be really hard to mimic that uh, that intensity, and also it's going to be really tough if they have to go two or three weeks with no playing. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll wait and see what happens there. What we do know is we've got two terrific games next week. So the, the next game we, we talk about was a Saturday afternoon. Down in Tasmania, we had Sydney Swans taking on GWS, the Battle of the Bridge, and uh, GWS with the one-point victory to go three and zip against Sydney in finals. Yeah, an incredible record, especially, you know, we spoke about this in the pre-show, Pez. They've only been in the league 10 years and they've played, you know, three times in finals now and they've gone three and zip. So the younger brother and a really fierce rivalry of the, the Sydney Swans, they stand up in big moments. And do you know what, Pez, going into that last quarter... I thought Sydney were coming and there were a lot of opportunities, you know, especially where it brought back some memories of uh, Lance Franklin, Hawthorne versus Adelaide, where you thought he was going to snag one and steal it and go on to win, but not to happen and missed opportunities at the end. They, I think they kicked four or five points straight. They couldn't clutch that... that uh that um, the, the lead and, and the GWS Giants held on. And Pez, as we said in the pre-show, if the Giants were to win, who stands up? Oh, the, the main man, Toby Green. He three goals there in the first half source and uh, didn't have first quarter. He only had ten dis- only had ten disposals for the game, but the presence of him uh, just being there and around the ball, he got a little bit lost in the third quarter, you know, giving away a couple of free kicks and getting back into what he was doing. Had a massive incident with the umpire, which will be interesting to see the outcome of that because that might be GWS's season on the line right there. But you speak about the Lance Franklin miss. Oh, I'll go back a bit further than that. The the James Bell miss oh, about yep. 15 meters out pretty much directly in front. And you're thinking, all right, Sydney are going to take the lead here. They're going to get the next clearance. They're going to go down. They're going to get some breathing space. He misses that. The pressure just got added and added and added and added. And when it was put in Franklin's hands, you're like, oh, in the first or second quarter here, he kicked a beautiful one from about this exact same spot. Uh, he's going to get the ball, you know, to bend from, from right to left and it's going to sail through. And he just did not uh, kick it that well. And uh, GWS with uh, the timekeeper at the end there, you just notice that? The time yeah, kept that going was, down that when bad. Toby Green had the ball. Should have been a, a few more seconds on the board. It wouldn't have made a difference. And uh, GWS take away the win and didn't they love it? The the biggest performer for me, apart from uh, Mr. Toby Green, was uh, Jesse Hogan with all those contested marks inside the forward line. Sydney had no answer for him. Yeah, he was impressive, and it's really good to see the young bloke uh, really turn his career away. He's now a third club uh, player, and he looked, you know, his career was in disarray from going back from his time at Melbourne. But he really stood strong, Pez, and, you know, Sydney didn't have an answer for him, and he really stood up in that fourth quarter. But, but when you go back to that James Bell, um, that incident, the, the goal that they did, the five minutes leading up to that, it was, it was, you could not see one of those beautifully charcoal jerseys anywhere. Every stoppage, there were just red and white, swarmed around the pill. And, you know, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, 
missed, missed, missed. And you're right, Pez. You know, that one was really crucial. Directly in front, he had the crumbs. He snagged one a little bit earlier of a similar sort of thing. Crumbs, goal. And he just missed his boot completely. And that really, really ate into the, the Sydney mindset. No, I just kept going and going. Heaney was fantastic. Oh, uh, kicking right. four uh, second-half goals there. And uh, should have probably had five as well with the, with another set shot gone missing. But you, you think... GWS were were they too tired? They just couldn't put the effort in anymore. They were getting smashed around the contests heading into that fourth quarter, and it kept going, kept going, and Sydney just kept pushing and pushing, and it, it makes the win so much sweeter for the Giants when uh, they were just able to get over the line. They had no run left, no nothing. They were just kicking it long to the down the line. Tom Hickey was great with a couple of intercept intercept marks late in the game there to you know get the ball back inside fifty and give the Swans another chance after another chance after another chance and. Uh, it was just great drama-filled footy to watch. Exactly right, Pez. And you mentioned it, you know, it was a, a sweet victory, but it could be turned very quickly bittersweet with, um, you know, all the talk of the town and the Battle of the Bridge has been talking all about the Toby Green incident. And what we relate to is at half time, uh, sorry, three-quarter time, Toby Green walking towards Matt Stevick, the umpire, pretty aggressively talking to him and, and obviously discussing some of the play's incident there. And then, you know, not uh, deviating his pathway and what appeared on footage to, to be a, a you know a right shoulder bump into Matt Stavick's um, shoulder as well. So shoulder on shoulder and sort of bumped him out of the way. What are your thoughts on this, Pez? Because there's been a lot of media scrutiny about uh, both sides of this. Yeah, I'm going to add to it right now, but I've actually hated the... Uh the scrutiny around it because, and it's not just with this Toby Green incident, it's with all incidences that are, you know, going to be sent to the tribunal. Like the commentators and the, the media kind of control how big a story is going to get. So depending on how, how much they, they you know, blow it up and continue to talk about it, um, I, I felt like the game should have been spoken about a, a little bit more instead of getting into the incident. But uh, you do have to speak about the incident now that all the dust has settled. And uh, I think the rule states you can't touch an umpire. So it gets sent directly to the tribunal and they'll get to decide what to do. Uh, I love Toby Green as a player source, but it's not a good look for the game. It's not a good look for the, the young kids watching. He, he definitely deliberately did it. He was looking straight past, arguing with him. It's not an accidental bump. And if they come out and say it's accidental, uh, I'm going to find that a little bit far-fetched. But I think the AFL would be really disappointed as well because they'd want Toby Green in a showdown against Geelong and I'm not sure that that's going to be able to happen. Yeah, I totally agree, Pez. It's very funny with this one. I'm obviously a Geelong supporter and I saw a lot of people commenting like, oh, you know, it's good that he's not playing against Geelong. But for me, when I first saw the incident, I actually didn't think it was that bad and I hadn't really thought of this. I actually thought that the umpire moved with him and there wasn't contact and then you see that other angle and it very clearly is contact. And I think what, you know, really steps out, and I was listening to a podcast today on Fox Footy, and David King was talking about what they need to do is it's very simple. The media shouldn't be talking about, oh, we want Toby Green to play. The media should not be talking about there's different rules for Toby Green. The, uh, they should not be saying that there's different rules for finals. It is very clear in the rules. He's made contact with an umpire, and the rule changed four or five years ago with um, when Brent Harvey got done for, for tapping the umpire on the shoulder and said, hey, you need to look at this. The bloke's getting beaten up down there, and he got done. So if the contact is seen to be disrespectful, disgruntled, um, agitated or aggressive or on purpose, he gets weeks. And I hadn't thought about it this, Pez. You mentioned it. It filters down to the junior levels. It filters down to the to club level. And it's not a good look for the game. And the AFL, I wouldn't have even bothered sending this to the tribunal. I always said to GWS, say, you know what? 
No, you can't argue that it's this, this, and this because it's very blatant. It is. There's three weeks. We'll accept two. You accept it as well. So no tribunal. You accept the two weeks. Yeah, well, it's, it's set in stone. You, you can't do it to the umpire. He didn't give the umpire a hug. We know that from the footage. So uh, <laughs> he's not going to get away with anything like that. So uh, unfortunately, it is uh, one of my favorite players to watch, and uh, I'm probably not going to get it to watch him in an elimination cutthroat semifinal against the Cats next week. So uh, GWS Giants are going to have to dig really, really deep uh, if they're going to compete with Geelong next week without Toby Green. Yeah, they will, Pez. All right, that gets on to our, our Saturday night, Pez. And, and this was an absolute cracking game. You had the afternoon where this one-point clash and it really built the anticipation of Melbourne, the team that snuck home a uh, top top finish, Brisbane who snuck into the top four. It was going to be absolutely uh, an incredible game, Pez, and it really started off that way. Um, it was a very fast-scoring game and, and we thought that the stars of the game, Charlie Cameron, I thought he was going to dismantle Melbourne uh, in that first quarter. He looked incredible. Oh, didn't he just? And uh Melbourne just had an answer for everything Brisbane threw at them in that first quarter. And Melbourne came out uh, with a one-goal lead because uh, their pace through the middle, their link-up through the middle, their decisions going inside forward 50 uh, was just elite. And they've shown, again, why they are on top of the ladder. And uh, I always seem to go against them, so I'm still yeah, I'm the same. remembering back. But um, I-, I thought Brisbane would have would have won on our obviously our podcast last week. And... Uh, yeah, I, I ate my words there because a 33-point win to the Demons, who pretty much dominated after after quarter time. Brisbane had a couple of goes, you know, where they came back to within a couple of goals source, but Melbourne just turned that gear on again. It wasn't Oliver and Petrarca, just the main guys. They're super impressive, and um, especially Oliver in that midfield. He was a bull. Bez, you sent me a text message during uh, the actual game as a lot of the players that were dominating them popping up, they just, they're just they just nobody names. They're just players that just fit the, the blueprint of winning, and you're right, led by Clayton Oliver, led by Petrarca. Their forwards finally found form. Ben Brown was outstanding, so was Bailey Fritch, and they just are uh, just the workhorse pairs. They won the contested ball. They were dominating stoppages, and almost every single 50-50 ball they came up with, and not through luck pairs. They were positioning themselves. They would. They looked impressive on the run. And if you were to see this game, Pez, this game plan and this style every week, I would be. I would be all over them for the premiership because they looked dominant. Mate, uh, Bailey Fritch, he showed up with his four goals. <laughs> Cosy Pickett as well. Cosy Pickett, you know, he started off on fire. He was. He hit the scene hard, and uh, then he had that month of footy sauce where he just went missing and he wasn't popping up on the goal scorers. And uh, didn't he love kicking a couple there? At Adelaide Oval. So uh, that's the other thing. That's impressive for Melbourne. They, they should have been playing this at the MCG uh, if it was, you know, normal times. We know it's not. And at Adelaide Oval, to be able to do that to a Brisbane Lions side that I consider to be pretty strong. They've had a, a rough end to the season, but a pretty strong side. No Hipwood and McStay going off early didn't help their structure. But uh, Melbourne, super impressive for mine. Uh, those, those players, again, just... Absolutely unbelievable. Their diverse forward line. We didn't know if it was going to work with Ben Brown in there. Tom McDonald, he only touched the ball four times for the game. Uh, and it, it seems to work with, you know, you got Fritch. You had Sparrow pop up as well. He, he put some pressure on up that forward line. Uh, it, it was it was good to see. 
But Pez, they, they dominated and they, they probably could have won by more. They had 15 marks inside 50. They had 68 to 45 inside 50s alone. The contested marks around the ground, they were just all over Brisbane. And I'm with you, Pez. I thought Brisbane were a pretty decent team. They were, you know, they definitely showed signs of the last couple of the last month or so of being one of those dominant sides. And Melbourne made them look like second look made them look second rate, Pez. And, and they, you know, Melbourne really deserved to be one win away from a from a grand final. Yeah, disappointing that the uh, self-proclaimed barometer barometer <laughs> he, he could he couldn't come in that first quarter. He had a big opportunity there and couldn't do it, Mister Matheson. So, uh, you know, he's got to go back to the drawing board and maybe get himself a new nickname. But um, it was high pressure, high high intensity footy, and uh, you you've got to give it to Melbourne and Melbourne fans get excited. You heading off to the prelim? It's obviously not going to be in Melbourne, uh, but depending where it is and depending who they play, they could be finding themselves in the grand final. Yeah, I mean, I I really feel for those Melbourne supporters, Pez, uh, that you know they, they're into a prelim and then most of the Melbourne supporters that haven't been able to see them win that often are not going to get the opportunity to potentially see their team in a grand final. So you really feel for those people. But Pez, I know who you don't feel for, and that is Essendon fans because, wow, <laughs> they were... And, and you know what? I, I'm going to address this straight away, Pez. I don't want to talk about the umpiring past this little section we do at the start because all I've seen is the how they umpires cost Essendon in the game. Mate, they didn't score a goal in the second half. They were absolutely uh, putrid and they did not play wet weather footy. The umpiring doesn't come into it for me. Have you seen um, Essendon lose any time? That's always the narrative. It's always the narrative. And uh, I, I noticed this account um, on Twitter – should have got, got what it was called. It's a, it's about the umpiring, and uh, they they say was the free kick there, and they say yes or no, and the bloke's an umpire, and oh, he's got about four thousand, he's got about four thousand followers now, and he's going on about some different things, and all the Essendon fans are just tweeting him over and over, and he's just going yes, the free kick was there. You can't hit him in the head in the head, and they're saying oh, but I've never seen that paid before. Like it, it's happened so many times throughout the season, happens ten times a game, and he said find me ten times. Uh, in a year, and uh, I'll be surprised. So he was going pretty strong at yeah. that. The, 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 the page pairs is, has the umpire made a bad decision? And it's fantastic. He literally goes through with a, you know, a, a toothpick uh, comb, goes through, pulls out all the errors. He justifies it. He quotes rules. He quotes other um, precedents from around the ground. And, and I understand Essendon's frustration is because three of those, you know, controversial free kicks resulted in, in you know, Cody Waitman goals. And, did, does finals need that sort of officiating? Maybe not. But that's what the umpire was doing. They were there. Most of them were there. I would say most of them were there. Three out of four. And it wasn't, it wasn't the umpiring. It was your style of football. The moment it, it started... Carelessness. Yeah. The moment it started pissing down, they went completely away from their game plan. They had the Bulldogs in on the ropes in that first quarter when they were dominating a lot of the play, and they let it slip away. Look, I honestly thought Essendon had the rub of the green in the in that first quarter there, and uh, you know, a few few of the clubs on the weekend benefited from the the stupid rule that is the protected area zone, uh, where the player doesn't impact it. And I think the fifty meter penalty for that action, where the player is running behind the other player, he hasn't even seen him, he can't feel him, can't hear him, doesn't affect the play whatsoever, and you get a fifty meter penalty shot at goal. Essendon uh, got on the good end of that early on um, and kicked a goal from it. And they only kicked four for the game. You, you mentioned they didn't kick a goal in the second half. They they fought tooth and nail in that first half, though, Source, uh, just before it started to 
absolutely pissed down at halftime. But uh, the dogs just kept going, kept pushing. Liberatore in the middle. Uh, one, one of the best games, I think, that I've seen him play. Uh, just 35 disposals in there, tight, contested in the middle. McRae had plenty of it, 36 on the outside. I thought Parrish was really good um, for, for Essendon. And uh, Trelaw was fighting really hard with 28 disposals as well. The Bont was, was well contained in that first quarter with two disposals. Uh, but, he, but he fought it out in the end and was able to push the ball forward. And as you said, the Bulldogs played better wet weather footy when I thought maybe this would suit Essendon. Yeah, when the game was on the line, Pez, people you spoke about, you know, Libertore, Bontempelli, uh, Lockie Hunter, and even Jack McRae, they all came away with really important clearances that they just were smarter with the footy. They end up, you know, I know they end up blowing it out by 40 points in the end, but it was probably a four or five, you know, it was probably four-goal game. That, that, that's how much better they were in terms of just controlling the footy, making smarter decisions, and not getting letting the emotions of feeling taken advantage of by the umpires take over. And that's what Essendon need to do. You know, I think for Essendon, a lot of the time they play into the own narrative of having this big, you know, oh, we haven't won a final in so many days and this and this. There's a reason that each each year you guys scrape into finals and then the next year you miss it. You're almost there. And I believe in Essendon next year that they if they need to make that jump. But I think there's a, there's a level of mentality to it as well. They need to not buy into the narrative that none of those players would have ever played, you know, in, in the last couple, or a couple of them would have, but like in those last finals. They've got a good young core. Listen, start playing the right footy and just be smart about it. Yeah, they've got, they've got a lot of players on their list here or in their 22 on the weekend. Uh, I, I was really disappointed with their forward line actually source and, and that effort in that forward line. You had Jake Stringer, who I think put in a, a great effort, kick, kicked his two goals in that first half and uh, was continuing to try throughout the game and really do that. You had uh, two-metre Peter up there, seven goals last time. What did I say to you? I said he's not getting seven this time and the Bulldogs will have a win. Uh, he did get seven disposals, though, so that might be a, a bit of a consolation prize for him. And Aaron Francis, who was playing up forward there, source, uh, really struggled, I thought. Um, in, in his final there. Um, Will Snelling could, couldn't hit a target going inside 50. You had Waterman, who's a beautiful set shot at goal, but he was struggling when the ball was loose on the ground as well. In that wet weather, you just can't afford to have that many passengers that are just there across, not putting on pressure, not hitting their kicks, not getting the ball forward. And uh, Essendon fans, as much as you do want to blame the umpires, uh, the Bulldogs kicked the shit out of them in that second half. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it there, Pez. There, there were a lot of passengers for Essendon the moment it started raining. And it sort of, you know, and Jake Stringer, I think, was a perfect example for that. Early on, he was a bit of a front runner early on, though. He was dominant, and when it was easy, he was good. But when the game got tough and, it, you know, it needed a star to stand up, unfortunately, Darcy Parrish didn't have anyone else to, to back him up. He was trying his heart out, but there was no one else that stood up. The better team won at the end of the day. And I said to a mate on Friday night, realistically, we had a 15-win team playing an 11-win team. And that really showcased when the game got tough and the game was in the balance. And, you know, the, the Bulldogs were, were, were commanding for, for setting up a really good final spot next week. Yeah, that's it. And um, I'm surprised that Essendon had uh, Mick Cox as the, as the sub as well and yeah, couldn't, couldn't get him on the, on the ground. You'd, you'd think... Uh, You'd, you'd want to play him on the field uh, over, you know, a, a lot of other players there and you would have liked to have him there available. But they're young players that, you know, have been impress- impressive this year. Perkins, he, he struggled up forward and on a wet day and you, you can't blame him too much. You had Cutler down back who really struggled as well. I thought Ridley stood up and, and played a good game across half back. So there's positive signs there for, for Essendon. But um, 
and a half time, they would have thought we're in with a good shot here, a good effort, starting to rain. This is our type of footy. And they really missed uh, Tip and Woody, I think. Yeah, they did. And I think during where, where the footy really suits him, and it would have been someone that would have sparked them a little bit in that forward line. But as I said, Pez, unfortunately, the, the, not unfortunately, but the best team won on the day. And, you know, I know it's easy to blame umpires and, and passengers and whatever, but realistically, the Western Bulldogs should have finished top four and they snuck out and they're in a really good position now. They play the Lions next week. You know, realistically, that'll be a really close game. Both teams were fighting for top four and we've got Geelong taking on the Giants next week on the, on the Friday night game. So two cracking finals next week. But unfortunately for those other teams, Pez, the season's over. Oh, season's over and uh, it's not over for, for Essendon and uh, Sydney because uh, we, we have to do our season over here with... Uh, the four teams that we didn't do from last week's source and uh, these two eliminations from the finals. And isn't it just perfect? A bit, bit of somber music there in the intro at the end, like, uh, bang, the season's over, we're, we're done for. Um, but the season's not over for the teams we haven't spoken about here on Behind the Boundary Source. Uh, we spoke about North Melbourne, Collingwood, Gold Coast, Adelaide, Hawthorne and Carlton last week and uh, gave them some reality checks with our hashtags. So this week we've got the, the next four in the bottom ten and uh, the Essendon and Sydney Swans. Yes, we do, Pez. So we're, we're going to go through all those teams and uh, finish up, Pez. And I like what you said there, a little bit sombre, because it is a little bit sombre for some of these teams. These are the teams that, you know, a lot of fans and a lot of them were fighting for a top eight berth and some of them really, really had disappointing ends to the season. And, you know, you can directly pinpoint for most of them where they where they stuffed up and where they, they cost themselves a finals berth. Yeah, and uh, the Sydney Swans will be really easy to see where they stuffed up <laughs> and all those shots of goal that they missed uh, to lose by a point. But... We have to start down at twelfth position, and this is uh, it's it's kind of the middle the middle run teams, isn't it? So we've got we had the bottom six last week. We're going to do the middle six this week, and then we'll do the top uh, top six in the weeks to come as we go. But uh, the Richmond Football Club to finish twelfth here on thirty eight points, uh, it, it was really disappointing uh, for them. It started with them not wanting to travel to Marvel Stadium, their coach openly admitting that. And, it's, you know, they just don't have the, the same meat pies over there and whatever it is. And uh, Richmond, we're fighting, we're fighting. Injuries succumbed, other things succumbed as well. And other teams just were able to work them out, able to get over the top of them. And they lost games that they would usually just get over the line in the, in previous years. So I don't know if Dynasty's over or, or whatnot. That was the big narrative going towards the end of the season when they were losing those games source. So... What have we got for Richmond? Uh, I've got hashtag, you've got to be kitten me. Because Ooh. I think that um, I've got two reasons for it. Because Dynasty over, I don't think so. I think you've got to be kidding. As you said, their season was fueled with a range of injuries. Not only that, they basically had their whole back line was out. David Asprey, Noah Bolter, Broad, Basha Hooley, Nick Vlosten, they were all hurt through big chunks of that season. Then the second part of it is, you've got to be kidding me, because we have definitely seen this coming. We called it last year in the finals. This club is slowly unraveling in terms of their off-field things. There's, a, there's something going on in Richmond, and they're doing a very good job to contain it, but there's something that just has a little bit of disconnect from the football department and their on-field performances. As you said, Pez, normally they just do Richmond things and they persevere and they get through. 
Dusty went down towards that end of the season. And the moment Dusty went down, the heart and soul, that was it, season over. I was absolutely gone. And usually I'd make a big uh, fun and joke and try and have a laugh at, at the expense of uh, these clubs to source. But this hashtag, I've gone pretty serious and I've just gone, hashtag, prove your worth. So if you're still there at the Richmond Footy Club and you're you're on the list there, you have to really turn things around this next season. You've got the ageing list there. You've still got the core players. You brought Tom Lynch down from the Gold Coast. You've got Jack Rewalt there who's getting on in age. Uh, you've got Dion Presti if you can keep him on, on the park in that midfield. Jaden Short down back. You've got all these core players that can be a finals team. So on paper, everyone's going to be picking them for finals next year. Can they get back to the Richmond brand of footy? Or is that Richmond brand of footy dead? Because everyone else has worked it out. And what does Damien Hardwick do? He's And prove your worth, not just for the players, it's for the coach as well. Prove your worth. What are you going to do to adapt and continue to go? It's hard to win three out of four years. But it's even harder to stay at the top yeah, for even I, longer. I love that point, Pez, about the game plan because they the game plan definitely has been analysed and scrutinised by every club for the last four or five years. And they continued to go to it even when they didn't have the cattle. When they had all these injuries and they were unable to play that brand of footy, they still persevered with it. And, you know, this off-season is going to be really, really prolific with how they're actually going to move forward because they need to make some ch- changes. They need to, to make some adjustments. They can't just believe that having this list is enough. You know, you talk about those teams that just scrape in. We just spoke about Essendon Pez. Them next year, for them, it's not enough just to do exactly what they did this, this year. Because for, for Richmond, they've been found out a little bit. Their game plan has underpinned. It wasn't because they performed poorly. They were doing the same things as they were three or four years ago with a better game plan. Everyone else is caught up. Yeah, that's the thing. And uh, you've just got to turn that list over again. I'm sure there'll be some free agents that would like to go to Richmond and, and, and continue to go and, and try and push for that, that top eight, even top four, and, and try and go for another premiership. But uh, it, it's in their hands, and, and they're the ones that have to adapt to everyone else changing around them and getting better around them. Uh, but with the, with the cattle, you know, luck does play a part. And, and with the right cattle there and staying on the park, it does make a big difference, but it's not all the excuses and they don't get away with any excuses because they had a poor season. And you're right, Pez. When you win premierships and you have a dynasty there, excuses don't count for anything. And, uh, yeah, the one team that we're going to talk about next, Pez, is uh, the Freo Dockers who finished 11th. And there are a lot of people that could make some excuses for, for some of their performances this year. Yeah, well, 10 wins and uh, one of the, not wins, but losses was probably the last round. Of, of the season source where they went down by 60 odd points to a St Kilda side that couldn't make the finals where Fremantle still had hope alive if they if they got over the line and they couldn't do it down there in Tassie which was disappointing but I might start this one off I think Fremantle uh, a strange side because they're really impressive some weeks at home source even in some games without their captain Nat Fife who was injured for in different injuries throughout the season and, and missing a lot of games uh, really impressive at home. And at the start of the season, the first half of the season, they struggled to play and win away from home. So injuries and away play. I've got hashtag hospitalized away from home Ooh. because they've, they've been put in that ambulance and rushed off whenever they travel interstate. Okay. So uh, especially that Tasmania game at the end, they, they had a chance to do it and just couldn't do it. Their, their grand final was the week before when they beat their rivals West Coast to pretty much knocked them out of the finals. And they were so impressive. And they've got got those young players, you know, Sarong and, and Chera. But unfortunately, 
Cher has asked for a, for a trade already at the end of the season. So that's a huge blow to Fremantle in their development. You had Nat Fife, who you know could have gone anywhere he wanted, and he, and he stayed on to, to help fight with this list when they got in that grand final, and then they're continuing to, to try and build their way back up. Um, they've got a good coach there, I think, and their game plan is actually one that, that helps them when they don't have the cattle. So they've got to continue to try and get the cattle. The Chera uh, decision to leave, though, isn't, isn't going to help that uh, very much. You had Walters injured for most of the season as well, which adds to my hashtag there. Yeah, you, you captured so many different points there, Pez, um, and I couldn't agree more with uh, with all of them there. I, I definitely agree that they need to, to win away from home. They let perfect opportunities um, go through their, their, their grasp, and, and realistically, we shouldn't be talking to them about 11th, Pez. We shouldn't have been talking about the 9th. They should be a top eight side, and this is my hashtag. Hashtag anchor point, Pez. Two reasons. 15 times this year, they kicked more behinds than goals. Now, if you want him to be a top eight side, you do that, you know, take that to seven times. That's that's seven more wins, right? Big and, problem. And that's a huge problem. And the second point, an anchor point, Pez, is a, is a term used in archery. And when they, what it is, it's when the archer pulls it back towards their chin and it stabilizes. You're kicking goals. You don't have all these problems. It stabilizes. Adam Chera probably doesn't want to run away from the club if they finish six and fifth. And they've got this great young core. They've got Fife and Walters coming back. He might say, you know what? I might sign on for one more year here because we've got a real sniff. They were, you know, one of the the number, I think it was the number fourth team in clearance differential. They were dominating clearances. All they needed to do was put it on the scoreboard. And there's nothing that you really can look at this side and go, you know what? Oh, they were unlucky. Oh, their game plan. Everything works. They're a defensive-minded side that really puts scoreboard pressure on. Yes, it is points, but they do put a lot of scoreboard pressure on. And the West Coast win that we talked about, what happened? They kicked seven straight goals. And that makes a huge difference, doesn't it? They put the pressure on, they were ahead, and then slowly, as West Coast started coming, they started slipping up. And that's what they've got to do. They've got to, you know, really anchor down that aspect of their game. And we talk about this about one side every year, Pez. One side throws it away through missing inaccuracy. The last couple of years, it has been Melbourne. They get it together. Look where they are. They finish top. Yeah, well... Well, I think we hit the nail on the head with Fremantle there from both. We had we talked about the injuries, their their wins at home and their, their struggles away and, and their inaccurate goal kicking because they average 10 goals and 12 behinds. So, so you've got to average more goals than behinds and that's a start. It is a start, Pez. And uh, speaking of start, I might handball it straight back to you, Pez, for, for the 10th place and probably a team that, that we're going to be talking about some of the similar things from Fremantle. is a really disappointing uh, season for, for St Kilda, especially after what they had last year. Yeah, well, you go from a, a season where you, you win a final against the Bulldogs, who, you know, are still alive, uh, and you lose uh, you lose to Richmond, who won the prem- premiership last year in a semi-final. So, this year, everyone was expecting them to be in that bottom half of the eight. And uh, with their recruits and things, I know they were missing some, some, you know, stars and they didn't play Rowan Marshall and Paddy Ryder every week together because oh, they couldn't. Ryder wasn't, wasn't available for whatever reasons and then injuries came uh, a part of it as well. Uh, but there's no excuses here for this. And my hashtag is hashtag recruit city plan C because – They've gone through two seasons, plan A of recruiting, plan B. Now they need to get to plan C. Do they continue to recruit or do they just try and stabilise what they've got and try and get a game plan that works every single week? There was way too many big losses. Um, Essendon, 75 points. Richmond, 86 points. Port, 54 points. uh, And and even more. 
and then a, a couple of games where they really competed and, and played really well. Yeah, they were in the game against Port Adelaide and Sydney in the last weeks of the season, Geelong as well, and, and they're all playing finals. So they, they can do it. They can be in those games, but they can't be losing by that margin and they can't be losing to teams that don't even make the finals as well. So they, they deserve to finish 10th, deserved out of the finals, but a very disappointing season for St Kilda and their fans. I'm glad you finished on that point, Pez, because that leads straight into my hashtag. And you need to bear with me here, Pez, because I really struggled to actually formulate what I wanted here. So I've gone hashtag Max the Confessor. Now, you're probably sitting there going, well, I don't really understand that. Max is for the Max King. This references the paint, patron saint of Kings, Pez. Now, patron saint of Kings was Edward the Confessor, and he was a king of England. And there's big dis- discrepancies with his portrayal because he's always portrayed in two ways. He's portrayed as the, Edward the Confessor, as the, the king that had one of the most unsuccessful reigns as leader, that had a lot of um, really big victories, but then broke down the whole kingdom and put England under a whole lot of scrutiny. So, you know, those performances where they turn it up to the game, they should win, they don't win, and they really set themselves up for, for failure. The other way that they're betrayed is that he's one of the most successful kings because of the way he had a presence of his energy, his, you know, his resourcefulness in terms of his recruiting. And otherwise, you know, most of the times he was very ruthless in his decision makings, obviously making the first attack. And that was the Jekyll and Hyde of St. Kilda's football. A couple of times, pairs, and a couple of times after a couple of bevies, you and I had phone calls that it was like, why, what, what, what was the difference with tonight? And you're like, effort. It literally was effort, and it was like, what is the difference, and how come some weeks they can bring it and some weeks they can't? And it's inconsistency for the Saints that cost them a top eight side. Yeah, and uh, that fits really well because you've got Max King there, and he was pretty inconsistent. I know a 20-year-old forward, and uh, you're not expecting the world from him, but he had some really disappointing games where you know he had, had a lot of appeal and kicked a lot of behinds, but then he had some really good games. West Coast, uh, first half against Geelong when he hadn't done his groin. And he's a really dangerous player who, who finished in, in the top five in contested marks in, in the league. And, uh, you know, he, he can kick a, a really big bag of goals and be a 50-plus goal kick for the Saints. And that's what he needs to be for St Kilda to be able to take that next step. But they also need to uh, keep him on the park and look after him if he's going to get injured like that yeah. uh, in Geelong. But I like that. I 100% agree, Pez, because, you know, I think a lot of people focus on his goal kicking. And, like, it's, he's a tw- as you said, he's a 20-year-old kid. He's going to have deficiencies playing at the elite level. Huge stride for him is that he started actually clunking some of those marks. And we saw him basically destroy Geelong in the first quarter before he went off, you know, with a, with a bit of an injury. And what's really good is that that goal kicking will come. I mean, he booted 38 goals this year off 20 games. Yes, he kicked a lot more behinds, but... He's still a young kid. He's taking more positive sets. He's putting himself in contested places to be able to take those marks. He's starting to have some really good leading patterns. And he's starting to, a couple of times, really stamping himself on a game. And that's what you want from your big, bustly forward pair. So that's really important for them and for, for him moving forward into next season. You'd have to be saying to him, mate, you've only got one more preseason and season without your brother there in the forward line with you. So <laughs> what, what are you going to do? You're going to have to show us what you got here. Kick 60 goals this season and then... You're the number one man and your brother, Ben, can be number two. I like it, Pez. I like it. Uh, and you heard <laughs> it here first at Behind the Boundary. The King Boys reunite uh, next, what is it, 2023? 2023. There we That's go, Pez. Well, hopefully by then he's already sort of established himself as one of the key forwards. And I know you picked him for as a cheeky this year as uh, to win the Coleman, Pez, but he is in really good stead next year for a top five finish in the Coleman. Oh, 100%. And he has to do that. And the Saints have to um, have a better season than last year. But... Uh, I think the next side is probably more disappointing here, Source. We've got uh, the West Coast Eagles. Uh, 
their absolute list, their powerhouse list of 2018 with, with many players there. I know Yo missed a, a lot of the start of the season, but they had the players there. Liam Ryan was missing as well after the first season and uh, they were just no good in the end. No, I disagree, Pez. Uh, hashtag red-tailed hawks. Do you know what a red-tailed hawks is? Oh, it's some kind of hawk, I'd imagine. Yep, it's it's one of the, the most um, mistaken birds for an eagle. And that's what they are, Pez. They are pretenders. They are absolute pretenders because, as we said, they get half their games in Perth. They should win. They've sucked about it for the last two years. Their game plan was exposed this year. They put up some absolutely disgusting performances. 97 points to Geelong. Back-to-back losses to, you know, over 50 points to the Dogs. 92 to Sydney. And then coming in with a, a loss to the last place, North Melbourne. Then... A couple of weeks later, doing the same thing to Collingwood. They are pretenders that let themselves win games at home that set themselves up. Think of how bad they were the back end of the season and they only just missed out on finals, Pez. I think that their list is too old and I called it the start of the season. I didn't think that their list was good enough to be in finals. And, you know, I say this almost every year, but it's about, about time that it actually paid off. Yeah, yeah it's got to come eventually. <laughs> and uh, It's paid off this year and uh, my hashtag isn't much better for them. They're not called the Weagles uh, source. It's hashtag Weagles because they, they were really weak in, in some of those performances. And, yeah, you probably missed one where they should have won. They were up, I don't know, four or five goals against St Kilda and ended up losing by 20 it, right in one quarter of footy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's just that's just not on. And they could have easily made the finals. They had they had a chance, you know, in front of their a full home crowd uh, against Fremantle and were lost to the, the team that they hardly ever lose to. Uh, and Fremantle still didn't even make it. So West Coast, they had their chances and and just couldn't do it. Interesting to see what Adam Simpson does here as one of the highest paid coaches in the league. How is he going to turn this around? Uh, And is there any way to turn them around and for them to go up source, or are they still going to go down? Well, Pez, I would hope that he did more than he did last season because, to me, they didn't do anything. They didn't recruit well. They didn't get any better. They basically, I think, approached the season of, oh, you know, we, we had a bad year in COVID last year. We, you know, that's the only reason that we didn't make, you know, we only just scraped through to finals. And uh, if we just do exactly what we did last year, we'll make it. And they did. They did exactly what they did last year, Pez. Poor pressure. They were too many broken tackles. They were poor. And I love your hashtag because they were weak. It was a weak effort from, from a very established, successful football club. And it's disappointing. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> Um, and that rounds out the bottom 10 source. We've, we've spoken about the bottom 10. And there's two more sides uh, that we get to hashtag for. And the team that finished eighth, Essendon, losing to the Bull- Bulldogs by over 40 points yesterday down in Tasmania. Um, it's a very easy hashtag for me, and I'm not sure it will be for you. For me, it is really easy, Pez, and I'm going to get in first. Mine's hashtag don't even. Sorry, hashtag Essendon don't even. So Essendon don't even. There we go. I eventually got through it. And that's <laughs> that's exactly what Essendon did, mate. They eventually got through into the finals. And what I'm going to say is reference to is don't even mention the 6,203 days, Pez, because it is breaking next year. This was a really positive season for Essendon. And a lot of people had them not making finals and not being in contention. And the last couple of teams we've spoken about what went wrong. What went right for Essendon is they had some absolutely impressive um, jumps in, in growth. You know, Darcy Parrish was outstanding. Zach Merritt, you know, the the you know Jaden Laverde early on was was inspirational. Nick Cox, Harry Jones, Archie Perkins, they had huge contribute contributors this year. And what's most important is don't even bother about this season because you weren't meant to make it. 
do not miss finals next year. Too many teams lose by 40 points in the first week of finals by scraping into eighth, and they miss the finals. You know, we look at Melbourne, North, Essendon themselves are going back a couple of years ago. Don't worry about this season because you weren't meant to make it. All guns blaring for next season and 2022. Well, you think they're on the upwards and and going from there. Now, I think um, this was probably the second best thing that could have happened. So I had them in the bottom four source and uh, it didn't pay out in the end, but I actually enjoyed it more that they made the eight and then got flogged in the second half down in, at a wet Tasmania. It was awesome to to hear all the Essendon fans' excitement leading up to it. They actually thought they were going to win because they beat the Bulldogs uh, a few weeks before that. But I'm just thinking two metre Peter kicked seven goals straight that day and uh, he's definitely not doing that again. Um, and the Bulldogs were missing Stefan Martin, which they have been for a majority of the year now. Um, you, you said I'm not allowed to say, don't even mention <laughs> 6,203. So my hashtag is 6,204. <laughs> <laughs> we had to, got to add the extra day on. Well, Pez, at minimum, it's going to be 6,567. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it. <laughs> you, look, it is a bit of a laughing point, but I think that, you know, if Essendon walk away from this all doom and gloom, then they've already got next season, um, you know, it's already beaten for them because they have got a lot of young talent. I spoke to an Essendon fan early in the week, and I think all they did was they went two-gun hold with some of their young stars. You know, Archie Perkins, and sorry, Nick Cox, the fact that he had to be the sub, there's a reason for that because he really was struggling getting to the end of the season, and he'll go through another preseason. Some of those young legs will get another run through. They'll come in healthier. They'll come in with a better game plan, and, you know, Jake Stringer, we know what he's about now. All he needs to do is put the work in and build that engine and they can be a contender in, in 2022, Pez. I don't know if they can win, win the whole thing, but I think they can definitely be in contention for top four. Yeah, well, they're going to, uh, I don't know, I'm hoping hoping they're in contention for bottom four. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be fantastic as well. Or Because um, if they make the finals again, they, they wouldn't want to lose it and they wouldn't want that uh, rain to keep going, which is, uh, what, 17 plus years now that it'll be, which is uh, absolutely amazing. So that was the easiest hashtag for mine. Pez, uh, it wasn't the easiest one for me. I really struggled with that one, as you can probably tell, uh, not only to get through it, but to think of it. The next one, Pez, was one that I didn't think I'd actually be talking about because I think most people thought that the Swans would do the Giants on the weekend, but we have to talk about the Sydney Swans who finished seventh. Yeah, they, they did the Giants, but this is a really disappointing loss for them. And the reason it's a disappointing loss is because they had so many more wins during the season than, than the Giants. Uh, they, they finished on 60 points. The Giants finished on 46 and, and really scraped home after a disappointing start to the season. But for whatever reason, they've got their measure. You know, the Giants have a lot of stars, but, but so does Sydney. And Luke Parker tried his best. We had Buddy kicking three, Heaney kicking four. And uh, just at the end there, when they couldn't get over the line and they couldn't get that score, you thought it was coming, you thought it was coming. Then it got down to two minutes and you're like, shit, GWS can hold on here. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is insane. And there was one point you thought... Maybe they just need to scrape. Just get another point just in case you can't get the goal and go into extra time. Because if that goes to extra time, you think Sydney are going to run all over the top of them. So I've just got a hashtag here, uh, Buddy Heaney, in in relation to, to Bloody Heaney. <laughs> he could have kicked the fifth. He was, he's come out. He was an absolute star in that third quarter and in the fourth quarter. And uh, they just couldn't get it. Buddy done. Pez, that's one of your best hashtags ever. (laughs) You've actually done a little bit of research. You're a little bit funny, Pez, and that is a great hashtag because 
that's exactly what they were doing. And, you know, Buddy Heaney is exactly right because they were too Buddy-centric going into that forward line. There were seven attempts that them going forward. You can see the frustration in Buddy Franklin. He's like, you know, and he's a player that always wants the pill. They're sometimes like, what are you doing? Stop kicking it to me. You've got Heaney over there. You've got some of the other young stars in there. Papley was popping up. They needed to disperse the, um, you know, the footy around and set up a different game plan and a different avenue for, for goal. Yeah, and, uh, well, they, they couldn't get it done. They got seven out of those two, seven goals, so uh, it wasn't too bad. But uh, James Bell, that miss, he's going to uh, not have a very good preseason uh, and going into next year because Sydney, they were a really impressive side, you know, coming up from the bottom and, and finishing sixth and probably could have finished a little bit higher. They had a couple of, of struggles against some some lower teams throughout the season. But, uh, yeah, GWS get to go through and uh, Geelong might get a free pass with that Toby Green. So that's... Uh, Another thing. That is something, Pez. Right. For my hashtag, Pez, you're going to love this one. Hashtag Ron Swanson. Now, hey. Ron Swanson, you've, I know you've been look, getting your way through Parks and Rec. For people who don't know Parks and Rec, it is a great, fantastic show. And Ron Swanson is this big, no bullshit, no business, all power sort of a bloke. And one of his great quotes, Pez, is, you will grow from boys to men. From men into gladiators and from gladiators into Swansons. And that's exactly what we saw this year is the young talent that Sydney have is scary, Pez. All of these names I'm about to roll off, Pez, under 25. And and actually, one of them is not. Isaac Heaney is 25 and three months, okay? So I'll put him first. Isaac Heaney, Errol Goulden, Justin McKerney, James Rowbottom, Jordan Dawson, Will Haywood, Isaac Heaney, as I mentioned, Callum Mills and Chad Warner. The future is extremely bright. Tom McCartan is one of those ones as well, I forgot. And for them, this is the best thing to happen for them. To into a final where they probably should have won, for them to lose, they'll come back with a fight and, and they an absolute fire in the belly pairs. Look out 2022 because the Swans are coming. Jeez, they're going to be a good side. Another preseason into all of those players. And then they've got their top-end stars as Parker, Kennedy, Franklin and co. Uh, yeah, that will be a dangerous side. And you won't want to play them next season at the SCG. No way, no way. I didn't want to play them this year <laughs> in the finals. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very glad that GWS did that. Pairs, not that I'm confident about that either, but uh, a lot more confident than I would be playing uh, Sydney. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. But... Uh, we, we have to get into our, our finals preview it later in the week, Source, when there's more information, everything's coming out. We'll, we'll keep an eye on all the news throughout the week and uh, get, keep you up to date on the Toby Green incident as well when we record uh, just before the two finals we have this week. Only five games of AFL left for the season, Source, and uh, it looks like Melbourne lockdown is going to be extended for a while longer, which is uh, going to be pretty tough without footy. What's the next sport that comes up after footy pairs? I, th- I think we got into the netball uh, last time. Is that still going? Uh, look, I, I think uh, after the NBL had a 55-game <laughs> final series uh, with the final two teams, I think they're ready to start again. <laughs> the NBL shouldn't be far away from kicking off, Pez, so we should be uh, ready for seven games in the one day. But uh, we have to enjoy and you know really enjoy uh, what's coming up in terms of the football, Pez, because we've got two cracking games next week. Make sure you're tuning to our show uh, Friday afternoon. Hopefully it's up, Pez. We, we are recording a little bit later to get all the information, uh, especially after some of the bets that we placed this week. Oh, yeah, um, and we will speak about that and do our bet review. Uh, this upcoming week, which uh, was absolutely topsy-turvy, up and down round. Uh, as, as you could tell from our, our previews, we, we didn't tip uh, 
too well in, in the in the winners in the first final series. Hopefully, we can get two out of two this week, Sauce. Um, but at Behind the Bound on Twitter, we've got our, our emojis and our results up there, our round results and season results. So make sure you jump on jump on board, have a look at what's up there, and we'll uh, be discussing that and see if Sauce can comprehend what what emojis are there <laughs> on uh, Thursday or Friday. So we'll see you then. I've been Pez. Peace uh, out. The only thing I'm comprehending, Pez, is 18th of November. Yeah, NBL preseason starts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sauce. We'll catch up next time, guys.